I thought I want to give you a background, a little background, uh, before Martin comes and read the passage for us. I thank, God for, I thank God for this opportunity to be able to begin the series on the letter to the Galatians. And these 10 verses, these first 10 verses, is actually a summary of the whole letter. And, you know, as we plow through these 10 verses, we will get a glimpse of the issues that Paul will be dealing with for, uh, for the rest of the letter. Now, before we uh, read the passage, uh, I want to reenact the accusation that was targeted at Paul. Accusation that was targeted at Paul by a group of people called the Judaizers. And this group of people, uh, they were Christian Jews. Jews converted to Christianity, but they were very passionate about holding on to the Jewish customs. And they insisted that the Gentiles, including the Galatians, should also continue uh, to follow them in observing Jewish customs. So the accusation goes something like this. Paul, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to dilute the gospel? Are you trying to water the gospel down so that it makes it easier for the Galatians to become Christians? You know, in the past, if a Gentile want to convert to Judaism, they would have to follow all the Jewish customs, circumcision, observing the food laws, what to eat and what not to eat, celebrating the special festivals like Passover, Feast of the First Fruits, Feast of the Tabernacle. Now, if the Gentiles now want to become Christians instead, if they want to put their faith in Jesus, that's well and good, but surely they must continue to follow protocol. Jesus himself was a Jew, and he too followed all the Jewish customs. So if the Galatians, the Gentiles want to become Christians, want to be Jesus followers, surely, surely, they too have to follow Jewish customs. Now Paul, are you trying to curry favour with the Galatians by telling them that they can become Christians without the need to follow Jewish customs. Who gives you the right to do this? What authority do you have? Who appointed you as an apostle in the first place? Was it Ananias who made you see again after you have been blinded on the road to Damascus? Or was it the leaders from the church in Damascus? Or was it the leaders from the church in Antioch who prayed over you and Barnabas and sent you out as missionaries? Well, they are mere fellow human beings. So if they are the ones who have appointed you to the task of preaching the good news, well, your credibility as an apostle is at stake. The rest of the other apostles, they have been with Jesus they have heard him teach, witnessed the miracles he performed. Jesus personally appointed them and entrusted the Great Commission to them. As for you, Paul, stand aside. Stop teaching the Gentile Christians that it is not necessary for them to follow Jewish customs. End of enactment. Now with this background in mind, I'll ask Martin to come and read for us 
Galatians chapter 1, 1 to 10. And it would be great if all of us can open our Bible to that uh, part of Scripture, because after that, I'll be making reference to the first 10 verses uh, throughout the sermon. The reading can be found on page 1103 of the Church Bibles. It's the first ten verses of the book of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not with a human commission, nor by human authority, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that person be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let that person be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Keep our Bibles open. Let us go to God in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to meet you in the pages of your living word. Lord, we pray that the Spirit of God, who has inspired the writing of this word, will now speak this word deeply into our hearts for the transformation of our lives to the glory of your holy name. Amen. The Galatians were confused. Because the Judaizers, Judaizers, as I said, was a group of Jewish Christians. The Judaizers in their midst were telling that, telling them that putting their faith in Jesus was not good enough. They had to follow Jewish customs, circumcision, food laws, special festivals. And I think some of the Gentiles, some of the Galatians must have already started following those customs. So Paul had to write this letter to address the heresy. Now, if you look at Paul's other letters, usually he would start with a greeting and then he would thank the Lord for the people whom he was writing to. So for example, if you turn to the next letter, just flip a few pages to your right to the letter of Ephesians. You see that he would 
begin with a greeting, like in verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then if you look down in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I have not stopped giving thanks for you. And, you know, if you don't believe me, check it out. Go to the other letters. Paul would always begin with a greeting and then he would give thanks to God for the people whom he's addressing. But not so in this letter to the Galatians. You know, after giving his, them his greeting, he went straight, went straight to the problem, the problem that he wanted to address. And that was the heresy that believing in Jesus was not enough for one's salvation. And you see that Paul used some very strong language as he addressed the Galatians. Look at verse 6. He said that he was astonished, he was shocked that the Galatians were so quickly turning away from God who had called them to salvation. And you know, he, he, he said that they had turned to a different gospel. And immediately he said, it's no gospel at all. And then he said that those who are teaching them that putting faith in Jesus is not enough, they are perverting the gospel, verse 7. And then in verse 8, let these people who are perverting the gospel, let them come under God's grace. And then for emphasis, he repeated that curse in verse 9. Let the one who perverted the gospel come under God's grace. It shows how zealously Paul was guarding the authentic gospel. How much angst he had for the Judaizers who were distorting it by laying unnecessary burdens on the Galatians. And contrary to what the Judaizers were accusing him of, that you know, he was a people pleaser, that was why he had made it easier for the Gentiles to convert, Paul made it very clear, very clear that he, as a servant of Christ, his goal was to win God's approval, not human approval, to please God, not people. And therefore, he had no qualms confronting the Galatians, at the same time, actually giving the Judaizers a good scolding. So that is the, the, the crux of what the rest of the letter to Galatians is about. What then is this authentic gospel that Paul was so passionately guarding? Now, it's the good news. It's the gospel that I shared with you just now during family time. And this gospel is nicely summarized for us in the first five verses. We are told in verse 4 that the Lord Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. The present evil age is characterized by humans' sinful condition where we rebel against God, transgress God's righteous standards, deviate from His good purposes. We would, we would rather lead our own lives and be in control of our own destinies, some may say, rather than acknowledge God as God. And, and the word rescue means that once upon a time, we were in captivity. We used to be under the bondage of sin. Previously, we cannot help but sin. But now we have been rescued. 
we not only receive the forgiveness of sins, we can now say no to sin. Now, we may not be perfect, but there is a growing desire in us to be holy as God is holy. And yes, we are still living in this world where we experience pain and suffering that this present evil age brings. But because our sins are forgiven, because we have this personal relationship with God, we know that nothing happens to us outside of His knowledge and permission. And God has the power to work out His good purposes in and through our circumstances. Therefore, we do not need to fear. We have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And that is why we can experience the peace that transcends all understanding, even in the midst of adverse circumstances, because we have first of all experienced peace with God. We have been reconciled with God. And that is why in many, many of Paul's greetings to the churches, he would say grace and peace to you. You know, we usually gloss over the word grace and peace. You know, it's just like, oh, a cliche. But no, peace, the peace that transcends all understanding began from the peace that we have with God. Now, and all this is possible because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because verse 4 says, He gave Himself up for our sins by dying the most cruel death, death on the cross. And He it didn't say that he died for his sins, but he died for our sins. He didn't die for his sin because he was perfect. And that is why he's able to bear our sins upon himself. You know, I cannot die for you and you cannot die for us because we are equally sinful. But Jesus, being the perfect son of God, can bear all our sins upon himself. And we know that he didn't just die, but he rose again. If he just died, lived and died, then he's no different from any one of us. And his death will not bring us salvation. But you know, we thank God that he, God, verse 1, Jesus rose from the dead, but God raised him. Verse 1, Paul says, God raised him from the dead. And because of that, he's able to give us life. And like, you know, what I said earlier on, life abundant, full of meaning and purpose and life eternal, having this intimate relationship with God that will last forever. You know, this mission to rescue us from the evil age is purely God's initiative. Look at verse 4 towards the end. It's planned according to the will of our God and Father, to whom we give all glory and praise. And this plan was executed by God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. He gave of himself. It was a voluntary act. Nothing in us merits such immense love from God. Nothing. And that's why we call it grace. We call it grace. The word grace is mentioned three times in chapter 1 alone. In verse 3, we have the phrase grace and peace, a greeting given by Paul to the church of Galatia. In verse 6, 
we are told that the Galatians were called by the grace of Christ, called to salvation by the grace of Christ. And then in verse 15, Paul testified that God called him by His grace. Now, I'd like you to appreciate the progression from general to particular. Right In verse 3, the grace, Paul talked about the grace of God being the, the foundation, the basis of God's work of salvation in our lives. The grace of God being the unmerited favour, the unconditional love, the unearned acceptance of us. Grace. And then in verse 6, Paul said that this grace has been extended to the Galatians. And that is why Paul was very upset when, you know, the Galatians turned to the Judaizers or listened to the Judaizers who told them that putting their faith in Christ was not enough. They need to follow Jewish custom. That would make grace meaningless. That would mean that salvation needs to be earned. God's love needs to be earned. God's favour needs to be earned. Paul himself testified that it is the grace of God that has turned him around. Remember Paul? Paul was a fanatical opponent of the followers of Christ. He did a 180 degree turn to become the enthusiastic, the devoted preacher of the gospel of Christ. And you know, that conversion happened, Paul said, it's because, again, because of the grace of Christ. And all of us here, all of us have been, have, have been given this grace, without which we will not be here together worshipping the Lord. Sola gracia. It's Latin. It means grace alone. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Unmerited favour, unconditional love, unearned acceptance. Now, but sometimes we do have Judaizers in our midst who will come along and tell us, well, believing in Jesus is not quite sufficient. I don't know about you, but I've come across Christians who say that if you are not baptised, you're not If you cannot speak in tongues, you are not saved. If you do not do your quiet time regularly, or take time out to be quiet before the Lord to contemplate, you are not saved. Well, maybe they, they won't go to that extreme, but they will give you the impression that you're not good enough. If you do not do what we do, if you're not a part of us, you're like a second-class kind of Christian. Well, I hope that we don't have Judaizers in our midst because we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, period. I want to even say this, and some of you might not be very comfortable, but I'll explain. Our salvation is not based on faith in Jesus and good works. It is just based on faith in Jesus alone. Because if it's based on faith in Jesus and good works, then grace becomes meaningless. I've come across this quotation. It says that salvation is never about do. Salvation through Jesus Christ is always about done. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is done. 
finished. You know, I, I know of a young adult and I can freely share about him because he's like thousands of miles away, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's not be very ethical. But you don't know him, man. I, well, even, even when I'm in UK, I, I've been uh, WhatsApping him. And he's very concerned about seeking God's kingdom first. And there's something good because Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. But it has become a burden to him. And he wrote to me recently, and I want to just, you know, uh, share this this message with you. Hi, Pastor Ken Singh. I I guess I realize I'm depressed. Always waking up and feeling defeated and feeling that my future is bleak, though God's promises a hope and a future. I feel a lack of confidence when it comes to challenges and may turn to panic mode. I want to try being close to God by reading the Bible and praying and fellowship, but I feel nothing, as if I'm just going through the motion. I hardly feel any happiness or joy, but only guilt, shame, and inferiority. Inferiority. What does seeking God's kingdom first mean? Is spending quiet time counted as seeking His kingdom? What if I never go to Navigators? Navigators is a Christian organization that works among uh, students. What if I never go to Navigators and their events on weekends and holidays, but just weekdays? Does that mean I'm not seeking God first? And I told him that I get this impression that he's trying very, very hard to please God, to gain his favor. But he's feeling very, very tired about it. And, and so I told him, I say that doing all these things does not make God love you more. And not doing these things does not make God love you less. God loves you in Christ. Period. So let's not be like the Galatians, you know, who think that you know, having faith is not enough and we need to do this and do that to earn God's acceptance and love and favor. Now, I guess some of you will be then thinking, if our salvation is just based on faith in Jesus, not on good works, does that mean that we don't need to do good? Right? Just based on faith in Jesus, period. Now, to disappoint you, no, we want to do good, but good works is featured in a different part of the equation. So faith plus works leading to salvation? No, no. Faith in Christ leading to salvation? Yes. And to recognize that, you know, it is really purely, purely by the grace of Christ that we are, we are able even to put our faith in Him. Without which, you know, if grace is not extended to Paul, Paul wouldn't turn around. Paul wouldn't make the 180 degree turn. If grace wasn't extended to us, we wouldn't even be able to say yes to Jesus. Right? And knowing that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, this compels us this is the motivation force for us to want to do good. Now, very often, you know, Christians will say, we serve the Lord. Why? Because we love the Lord. You know, we do outreach to the community. Why? Because we love the Lord. We come for worship because we love the Lord. And we um, give our tithing because we love the Lord. We obey God because we love Him. Now, all this is correct 
but not complete. Just when we think that it all starts with us, you know, we serve the Lord because we love the Lord, we give to the Lord because, you know, it's, it all starts with us. Just when we think that it starts with us, we should take a step back and remember we love because He first loved us. You know, I, I recently attended the, the Alpha uh, Conference and Justin Weber, the, the new Archbishop, uh, was there. And he made this statement, and I thought it was very beautiful. He said that uh, the key moment is what God did for us, not what we do for Him. The key moment is what God did for us in Christ, not what we do for Him. What we do for Him is only a response to what He has done for us, a response to the amazing grace that we have experienced. Now, so if we are not finding joy in our service, if we are not uh, desiring to worship Him, to spend time with Him, if we are not bothered about yielding our lives to Him, if we are not moved to show love to, to people around us, we might have forgotten the gospel. We might have forgotten how we have been rescued from this present evil age and what it had taken our Saviour to rescue us. And I think we need to then come back to the gospel and be overwhelmed once again by the grace of God. And only then can we find the motivation to serve, to give, and to do good. I end with a story. I've never been good at playing football. I know football is big in this country. I'm lousy at, in that sport. But as a youth, because I wanted to hang out with my friends, sometimes I joined them in the football matches. But I, I felt really very awkward because they usually have this arrangement where, you know, the boys would gather, he would choose two good players to be captains. And, and then I suppose these are the ones who are quite skillful in, in, in football. And then they will take turns to pick the people to be in their team. And I dreaded the exercise because I would usually be the last, second last, to be chosen because they know they knew that I, I couldn't really play. So, but peer pressure, I, I still wanted to stick around. But there was this occasion, I remember, that I got chosen quite early to be part of a team. And I was really pleasantly surprised, even touched by you know, how gracious the captain was knowing that I couldn't really play football well. And because of that, I played my heart out. And I think my enthusiasm compensated for the lack of skill because I scored a goal. <laughs> you know, I think my motivation to give my very best was a response to the grace that was, that, that was extended to me. I don't think the, the, the captain expected me to, you know, score a goal. Yeah, but I, I really, I really was, was motivated to want to, to give my best. And I think, you know, it's like our relationship with God. If we are so overwhelmed by the amazing grace of God, you know, extended to us, in spite of how undeserving we are, that we are being called into His family, called to be part of His team, then I think, you know, we would want to be so grateful that we not just 
um, how should I say, th- that we would really give of our best to Him, to serve Him. That we would want to, not that we will have to, but we would want to put our trust in Him. And, and let this trust, let this faith be translated into total surrender, complete devotion, and wholehearted obedience to our Saviour and our Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your amazing love, your amazing grace that you have shown us on the cross of Calvary. Lord, forgive us for oftentimes we take the gospel for granted. We take your love for granted. And sometimes we run ahead of ourselves and we do this for you, we do that for you, and we feel great about doing all these things. Forgive us, Lord, when it's all about ourselves. Help us to be reminded that it's really not about ourselves. It's all about you. And what we do is a grateful response to all that you have done for us in Christ. Lord, overwhelm us with the gospel again and again and again so that that would be the motivating force for us to love you and to serve you and to pour out our lives for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.